Well, good morning. It's, it's good to be with you again, uh, Cape. Uh, again, my name is Ryan, and my wife Erin and I have been the, I guess, had the extreme pleasure of being extensions of you in the uh, crazy zany place of Portland, Oregon, uh, where we work with the Ministry of Crew. And it's really fun to return, to come back here and spend time with you. The passages I was praying and just kind of getting ready uh, mentally and spiritually for this morning that God laid on my heart to just encourage me, and I thought I'd just by extension encourage you with it. It's from Psalm 133, where he says, How blessed is it when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. And I've got to be honest with you. We are not living in very unified times right now, are we? We're very polarized. Yeah, that's, that's not hard to see. And even more so as a missionary, because a missionary is sent. A missionary goes. And, and that, that unity that goes, you just can't compete with a squirrel, can you? It's impossible. How do you do this, Joel? This is impressive. I'm just watching the guys in the back. They're like, look at that squirrel. Anyway, sorry. I will return now to regular scheduled program. Um, when, as a missionary, when, when you're sent, there's a, there's a geographic disunity, right? Because you're not here. You're sent. And so you're, you're not able to be with the people that you know and you love. But that's, that's an accepted disunity that's there for a season, and then it, and then it changes. And so when we get to return to, to places like Merritt Island, like Cape, like Florida, like Denver, like Mariposa, California, other places where we have bodies that we have unity with, that we, we are extensions of, of the mission that God has commissioned you as a church. When we get to do that, um, we, we do it very specifically. Open up real quick, quick segue here by induction. Open up to Acts chapter 14 really fast if you have that. And go to the very last verses there. And I, I just feel like it's, it's really important for you to understand. This is, this is part of what Aaron and I are hoping to see accomplished this morning. Okay, so context here, Acts 13 and 14 is, is the record that Luke write down, writes down of, of Paul and Barnabas' their first mission trip. And this is the end of that mission trip. If you go to verse 27, it says that when they, referring to Paul and Barnabas, when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the, this is the pattern of reunification that the missionary gets to come and, and be with, with their sending churches, in this case, the church in Antioch. And, and we, get to, we just get to share. We get to debrief. I wish we had more time. There's so much that has gone on in this last year. So many unexpected things. So many ways that I'd be like, I just love to talk and share with you about. And I'll share some of those stories. Our time here is too short. I wish we could do exactly what they're doing. Remain there no little time with the disciples. That's our, that's, that's our heart. That's our longing. That's our desire. But the reality is the mission beckons still. 
And uh, there's a part of us, even again, as I was preparing this morning to share with you, my mind was distracted. You know what I was distracted with? It was distracted with that there's, there's Portland, Oregon. And there's, there's stuff to be done there. And there's a mission there that the Lord has led us to. And it's still on my heart. It's still on my mind. It's a pleasant distraction, okay? But it's, it's part of where our heart is. But isn't it good, amen, that Psalm 133 exists, right? How good and pleasant it is that we can come, we can dwell together in unity. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says this, Go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Yes, I am with you even to the end of the age. In John 17, 18, Jesus prays and says, As you have sent me, Father, even now I am sending them. Remember, he was about to go and die on a cross. Acts 1, 8, Jesus proclaims to his disciples right before his ascension that as the Spirit once the Holy Spirit has come upon you in power, you will be my witnesses to all the world. But none of this is done in a vacuum, is it? None of the mission that we are called to, that we are led to, is done in some sort of relational vacuum. Because we always remember, right, the greatest commandment. And when we fulfill the mission of God, we don't do so to the neglect of obeying him. And that is that, that this works its way out pragmatically in a, in a manner where we love God and we love people, right? So when we walk into and we talk about the mission of God that he has for us, whether it's, it's here at Cape, whether it's in your schools, it's in your work environment, as we seek to establish those things, there's lots of different ways that, that, that it can be worked out. In our case, we were sent, August 2020, we were sent by you to go to Portland, Oregon, to join Crew. And Crew has a simple vision statement. I love this because uh, <laughs> Pastor Jeremiah, when he kind of launched this, this, this weekend yesterday, he actually read the Crew vision statement. It's this. It's this idea of fulfilling the Great Commission by starting movements everywhere so that everyone knows somebody who truly follows Jesus. I like that vision because it gives feet to it. It allows people like you and me to say, hey, what, what sort of gospel-centered relationships am I carrying on? Is the gospel forefront? Is it always there? How is that working its way out? And when Aaron and I left here and we went to Portland, we joined a metro team out there from Crew that's, that's living in the city, that's living life there, and is working on campuses there and, and, and fulfilling this. We're coaching, we're discipling, we're coming alongside of churches to do that. Now, just to give you a, you know, a 30,000-foot view real quickly, and I, I don't share this with you to tout or to brag or anything, but this, this is just kind of crude. This, this is how that vision has worked its way out in the over 70 years of history that has been around. Right now, Crew has over 5,300 ministries, campus ministries right now. 
That's how many campuses, college campuses, high school campuses, that, that crew has teams like ours working on and ministering in. In addition to that, here in the U.S., they have 35 city teams and 35 different metropolitan areas that are coming alongside of the local churches and helping and assisting and saying, hey, what can we do to strategize with, with all of the churches in the area to effectively reach these metropolitan areas? Aaron and I are part of one of those metro teams. You have, you have one in Orlando, okay? There's, there's, they're scattered around all over the U.S., focused on how can we help the city? How can we partner with the local church to do that? And the list goes on and on. Josh McDowell, he's in 125 different countries all around the world. We have 25 different countries that we're partnering with an organization called Unto. It's part of Crew that focuses on emergency relief scenarios and, and situations. The Jesus Film Project, just located over in Orlando currently, has, has actively 1,790 different translations of the Gospel of Luke that's being used uh, in just fantastic contexts all around the world. And this is, I, like I said, I don't say this to brag, it's just that, like, this is, this is kind of the organization that Aaron and I just are like, wow, we get to participate in this way. Big vision. And yet, pragmatically, individuals walking with teams, going and doing it. Just like Jesus sent out disciples two by two, so Aaron and I were sent to go start movements on high school campuses in Portland. Now let me get back to our text. I appreciate Aaron reading that for us. This, this context is so important. When we look at Philip and this story of the Ethiopian eunuch, let me back up and give us just a smidge of context because the context is persecution has broken out in the book of Acts. If you, if you look at chapter 8, okay, persecution has broken out. It's intense. And people are literally fleeing for their lives. But they preach as they go. They share as they go. And it's like the, the, the most unsmart thing you could ever do, right? Because when you're running for your life, what's going on? Like, you're, you're trying not to leave a trail of breadcrumbs behind you. Here's a newsflash. When you're preaching and leading more people to Christ, you're leaving a lot of breadcrumbs behind you, okay? But that's how, the, that's how the church grows. It's crazy. But that's what takes place. And so here we are. Philip's living now. He's fled Jerusalem. He's living in, in, in northern Israel, probably up in the Samaria area. He's kind of fled to the Gentiles, trying to hide amongst them. I'm not quite sure how that works. Because it's, it's, it's clear he would have stuck out like a sore thumb. But here he is. And we encountered this story. This story of mission. It says that an angel comes to him and says, hey, Philip, rise up and go. And let's look at where he sends him. Because the text is really clear. It says that he's supposed to go to a road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And the description of the road is that this is a desert place. Okay? Now, I want you to get this. The desert place. That's not fun, right? I mean, we don't necessarily just, yay, let's go to the desert. It's dry. There's no water. It's hot. It's miserable. But the angel says, go and do this. I want you to note that this is going to be a journey. This is at least a three, maybe four-day journey for him to just walk. It's exhausting. I don't know about you, but walking for three or four days doesn't really rub my jets. 
I mean, I enjoy going for my morning walks, but to walk all day long for three or four days, this is demanding physically. Also note kind of what's not there. He doesn't say, hey, go there and revival's going to break out. He doesn't say, go there and preach. He doesn't really at all define the mission. He doesn't tell him what's going to take place. He just simply says, go. Now, this is not the first time that this has happened, right? Philip, being a good Jew, would know a lot of stories from what we now call the Old Testament where this happened a lot, right? This isn't hard for us to think of. Abraham, right? Calls him out of his home, familiar place. Hey, go down here. I'm going I'm to use you to bless the nations. He went. Same with Abraham, similar situation. Later on, he says, by the way, the blessing is going to work its way out through Isaac. Now I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac on this mountain that's a few days' journey from you. Abraham went. Look at, at people like Isaiah, right? Big vision, standing before God. God gives this invitation. He's like, who, who am I going to send? Biggest mistake of his life. Ooh, ooh, send me. Why do I say that's the biggest mistake of his life? Because of the rest of the chapter. We like to end it, the ooh, ooh, send me. But the rest of the chapter is God's like, okay, I'm going to send you, but here's the deal. Nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to understand what you have to say. Immediately, Isaiah starts backpedaling. How long do I have to do this? Like a few Sundays, a month, a year? God's like, for the totality of your mission, Yay. It's not a a fun thing all the time when God just says, go. It requires a lot of sacrifice. It requires a lot of trust on all of us. The potential for fear, walking into an unknown mission, that's something I'm really, really familiar with. Maybe you are too. When you pray to God, let me ask you this. Maybe you're like me. When you pray to God and you, you ask him for direction, do you, do you like me, do you find, up, find that quite often you pray, you kind of let God know what you think his plan is for your life? Anybody ever done that? You know what I'm talking about? You know, where you're like, hey, God, it'd be really great if we did this together. What do you say? You know what I'm saying? My wife loves to tell me about how she does this a lot. She's like, I love to pray and tell God exactly what his plan is for my life. Anybody, I, I know you're relating to this, right? We've yes. all done this plenty, right? Okay, all right. So, yeah, let me, but here's the deal. We, we believe the Lord was really sending us to Portland, and so we did. We followed his lead. And when we walked into that context, we had some really clear ideas of where we thought and what that was going to look like. And so we were, we were praying and we were, whether we realized it or not, kind of telling God what we thought, what, what high school campuses we were going to work on, what, what was our context, you know, and things like that. And oh my goodness, let me tell you, God has a way of just like, hey, by the way, whoop, nope, this is where I'm working. I'll unpackage that for you later. But, but here's the deal. What we were committed to was being a part of a team That was launching movements everywhere so that everyone knows someone who truly follows Jesus. 
And having that kind of vision guiding us really helped us move past our own humanity and trust more and more God. The image that I've kind of come to embrace is, is as, as a parent, you know, I'm in the pool and my, my little kid is jumping into the pool to me. Like he has to trust me, right? It's not that he doesn't trust me before he ever jumps into the pool. He does. We have a level of trust, but it's building with time, right? And eventually he does. He trusts me and he jumps into the pool. And as long as I'm faithful to, you know, guide him and catch him and make sure he doesn't drown, what does he do? Right? He, he runs around and he does it again. And maybe a little bit quicker this time. And then he runs around and he does it again and again and again. Until eventually I jump away and he nearly drowns. But that's a whole different story. But here's the deal, right? We build trust with God as we go. Look at verse 27. Look at Philip's response. And he rose and went. Everything I've just presented to you is conjecture. I have no idea whether he was fearing what he was saying or anything like that. But what we do know at the end of the day is that he believed, he trusted God to jump into the pool. He rose and he went. Then I want you to note in verses 27 through 30, just three responses Philip had when the mission was revealed. Remember, everything up to this point in time, the mission has not been revealed to him. He just knows that he's supposed to go and that there will be a mission. He's got something to do. He doesn't know what it's going to look like. He just knows he's going to do it. Verses 27 through 30, you're going to see kind of three major responses when the mission presents itself, okay? So we have this Ethiopian high official who has been in Jerusalem, okay, celebrating. He's got a, he's got a script in front of him of, of the book of Isaiah. He's reading from it, but he's clearly not understanding it, right, as we read through the text. And then if, if you look at, 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 at his response, you see Philip had three things in verse 30. It says, so Philip, first of all, he ran to him. Okay? The Spirit in verse 29 tells him, hey, go. Once again, go. Go over there. And so his response, he doesn't wait. He doesn't walk. The picture is very clear. He ran to him. He ran towards the mission. Once he saw it, he was ready. He went. Really quickly. And then it says, and he heard him reading Isaiah and the prophet. Okay, this is big. Note, he doesn't walk in with a track and the four spiritual laws and invite the guy to believe in Jesus. Okay? I'm kind of outing my own organization in case you're wondering who wrote the four spiritual laws. But here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not how Philip led. Philip ran to the mission and he Entered by listening. He became aware of what was going on. He didn't rush in with words. He rushed in with ears. Okay? And then it says he asked. He asked a really good question because of what he heard, because he put himself in immediate proximity of the mission that the Lord had led him to. Okay? He listened to God. He went where he was sent, and he ran towards the opportunity. Is that, is that how you and I respond to mission? Can I help myself? I'm, I'm not the best example of this. Can I be real with you about this? I, I, I don't naturally do this. 
Let me give you an example, right? I've been, I've been, my wife and I have been serving the Lord for, uh, vocationally for over 10 years. We've been working with, with youth for, for over 20 years. Not every step along that path has Ryan Fast been a good missionary. Just, I, I haven't. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. So when uh, my, my, my youngest, he's nine now, but when he was about two years old, Aaron and I were in downtown Portland, and uh, we were walking through a Walgreens parking lot, Okay. And uh, as is not uncommon when you're in downtown, it's easy to get approached by people who, quite frankly, you will smell them before you see them. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Okay. Maybe you've met a few of those people. They're not just middle schoolers, although that happens with many of them too. Um, Actually, members of the homeless community began to approach us. Now, okay, this is why God sends you two by two. My brain goes like this. I'm holding my two-year-old, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, no, they're going to ask me for money. But my brain does not stop there. My brain's like, wait, I don't want to give them money because they might, you know, might blow it on booze or drugs or something. That'd be horrible. So what if I don't give them money? Oh, what if they mug me? What if they want to rob me? Now my brain is like circling the drain here at this point, right? You know? And I'm like, oh. And if I don't give it to them, then what if, what if they, what if they, what if they kill me? What if I die? The Zeke could be an orphan and ah, my brain is just whoo, gone. All right? Again, this is why God sends you out two by two. Because in the midst of this, I snap back to reality and realize, oh, my wife's having a conversation with these two people. And I'm just like, ah. And yes, they had come up and they had asked us for money. And yes, my wife said, no, I'm not going to give you money, but I'd be happy to walk across the street with you over to McDonald's and buy you a meal, to which they very graciously said, that'd be great. She listened. She asked a question. They responded. At this point, Ryan Fast, the missionary, snaps back to reality and realizes, oh, I'm not going to die. My son's not going to be an orphan. And we walk across the street, and we have a nice conversation. We hear a little bit of their story. We give them the invitation to be seen and to be heard, which is a basic human need. And we got to have a nice conversation with them. Share the love of Christ in a pragmatic, practical way. Okay? I wish that I could say I responded like Philip. I did not. Thank goodness my wife did. Maybe that's why God sends us out in, in pairs and groups. I don't know. Now I want you to, to also examine in verses 30 through 31, Philip's three responses to the lost, which I've already kind of hit on. He heard, he asked, and he responded to the invitation. Okay, do you see those in there? He heard, he asked, and he responded to the invitation. And I want to I bring those into our lives and into our conversation here. And I simply want to ask you this. Are you listening? Are you listening to the world around you? Are you listening to your neighbors? Have you worked hard to find relationships? Sometimes it, it can be very rapid, like it was in, in Philip's case. Sometimes it can be a, a chance meeting. It could even be, be something that you actively go out and, and initiate just conversations with people. That's great. 
But my experience has been more often than not is that that's not it. You know, for me, I got, I got Virgil, who lives across the street from me in Portland. Virgil's the, the, the neighborhood gossip. If you want to know anything about anyone, somehow Virgil knows it all. I don't know how, but he does somehow. You know, but Virgil, I, I've discovered, you know, his, his wife, she never comes out of the house. And as I talked and got to know Virgil, I found that his, his wife has had illnesses, and she's really afraid to even come out of the house. Virgil likes to work on his lawn a lot. He keeps the most beautiful lawn in, in the neighborhood. But I think part of the reason he does that is because he's always looking for somebody to talk to. And anytime anyone's outside, boy, it's, it's pretty easy to kind of get sucked into a conversation with Virgil. But is it really getting sucked in when a guy just wants to talk? When he just wants to be seen, when he just wants to be heard? Is it worth pausing my own agenda as I'm going on my power walk to exercise in the morning to stop and, hey, Virgil, how you doing? What's going on? Build a relationship with him. Aaron and I were really focused on trying to identify campuses, existing campuses in Portland when we got there, that didn't have any kind of a Christian movement. Aaron's experience from having graduated from Lincoln High School in downtown Portland was that she only knew of three professing Christians in her class of 500 in a school of some 1,500. That was her context. That was her experience. And so we wanted to make sure and identify campuses where there weren't very many Christians, where Christians felt isolated and alone, and and help them understand they're not isolated alone, that the church is here, that we want to become and be a part of you. If you've ever been a part of any sort of campus movement, whether it's in a high school context or a college context, you know one of the coolest things about it is it's always multi-church, it's always a lot of people, and it provides a lot of opportunities for unity. And we wanted to make sure that that was going on. And so we were really looking in North Portland. We were really looking in North Portland because that was an area that was, that was demographically uh, tended to lean a little bit more on the, on, the, on the poverty end of things. There was a high degree of, of, of the houseless community that lived in that area. And so we were, we were really dialing because we knew there was an immediate need. And so we began to prayer walk and began to reach out. And, you know, there's, there, there weren't a whole bunch of doors that were opening for us. But in the midst of that, in, in the summer before we were going to try to launch stuff in the fall, last, last summer, um, Zeke winds up, our, our youngest, at a, at a VBS at a local church. And it's, it's in this bedroom community, not too far from us, but it's, but it's outside of Portland. It's a good 30 minutes outside of Portland. Rural church. And the, the pastor, at the end of the VBS, just kind of, you know, the kids do a little program, and he, and he invites he invites anybody who's new. He's like, hey, I'd love to meet you. You know, I'm a local pastor, whatever. And so I'm like, okay, sure, why not? Walked up. Hey, how you doing? I'm Ryan. I work with crew. Oh, you work with crew? Yeah, I'm working in the high school ministry. Oh, man, that'd be great. I used to do campus ministry, you know, 20 years ago when I lived in L.A. We'd, I'd love crew. Let me introduce you to my youth pastor. Great. Meet the youth pastor. Youth pastor, wait, are you serious? Do you want to start ministries like here? And I'm like, well, yeah, he's like, I can't get anyone to come out here. I mean, none of the other, I've asked, I've asked lots of different organizations, nobody will come out here. I'm like, well, I live here. That'd be great. Let me introduce you to all the other youth pastors in the area. Okay. Within a week, I'm, I'm talking with all the, the huge chunk of the youth pastors in, in Columbia County, not Multnomah County, we're Portland, in Columbia County, right next to it. 
And they're like, hey, we got this big see you at the pole event that we do every year. And we, and we try to make sure that there's someone present at every single high school and, and, and middle school in the area. But then in the evening, we invite everybody to come to this youth rally. Hey, would you MC that for us, Ryan? Would you, would you oversee that? Would you help us organize this? Sure. Next thing I know, in the middle of September, we have 170 kids just gathered at this youth rally. They've brought in a local skateboard evangelist who's preaching the word of God. We get to pray with 12 kids to receive Christ. And out of that, we get to launch two movements in high schools, at Scapoos and St. Helens High School. And I'm like, God, wait a second. We were going to Portland, and, and we're, we're outside, and yet here it is. And as I, as, I, as I read this passage, I'm just thinking to myself, my goodness, Lord, in spite of all of my failures, in spite of all of our desires to go and serve you, 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 you had something going on here, and, and, and you said, hey, Ryan and Aaron Fest, would you step in here? One of those group of kids, as we sat down with the students, we were really humbled. It didn't take long to understand their, their context was not the easiest one. They wanted to start a, a Christian Bible club. At, here's the thing. None of them were Christians. None of them owned a Bible. But they had all shown up that youth rally. And they all responded by saying, hey, we'd love to start having a campus club that's center around this. And so Aaron and I had just been gently leaning in every week, meeting with them at Starbucks. Next thing you know, we get reached out to by a local Nazarene church. Hey, you guys want to use our building? It's right across the street from the high school. Yeah, here's a key. Have a key to the building, Ryan. Bring the youth in. You know, God just keeps on working out little things after little things after little things. We didn't know exactly how the mission was going to work its way out. We didn't know how it was going to take place. But we did try to listen. We did try to ask questions. And when we got the opportunity, honestly, we kind of stepped into the chariot. Got to see that. If you read the rest of the passage, which I'm not going to spend time doing... And I don't know how much you know this. You have to be a student of, of church history just a little bit. But God used this to literally launch the church in Ethiopia and North Africa through this event. Later on, if you follow the, the historians, you'll find that Matthew winds up there working in North Africa tremendously. Winds up eventually sacrificing and dying there. A tremendous movement came out of this simple conversation that Philip had. And Philip had no idea what the mission was going to look like. Neither do you. None of us know what God's doing here in Cape. We just know that we want to participate in it. Yes? Okay? The kingdom of God is here. It's present. It's among us. So my question and my challenge, I guess, to us today is simply this. Are you listening? Are you leading with your ears instead of your mouth? There's a time for the mouth to work, for sure. So are you ready when it's time? Are you equipped when it's time? Are you aware of what the essence of the gospel is and what it looks like to proclaim that? Have you looked at your context really well? I mean, I love the fact that I walk into this church and the first thing I hear is a leaf blower this morning. I mean, that is awesome. You know, you're here in a park. This is so cool. I've told Joel many times, I'm like, Joel, there are going to be days where you're going to long for the simplicity of meeting in the park. I mean, you know, someday. 
But that's my challenge to you. It's my challenge to me because I preach this to myself. Because I know I fail at this. Are you leading with your ears? Are you, are you approaching gospel, the gospel and other people with a posture of humility? Are you responding then to the invitations? Because it's going to come. You're going to get invitations to lean in, to serve. I'll close with this final story. We've gotten to uh, take these students in this bedroom community context and say, how would you like to go into Portland? Now, I don't know if any of you have watched the national news over the last year, but Portland does not have a beautiful reputation right now. And if you go down there, you'll see a lot of things that you will not like things I do not see when I'm here. You'll see vandalism all over the place. You'll see a lot of graffiti. There's, there's lots of signs, even like major highway signs that you can't, you can't even make them out because they're all covered in paint and graffiti and stuff. There's a huge houseless population. But I just asked the students, I was like, hey, how would, how would you guys like to go in and serve the houseless community? And I was, I was really surprised. Uh, like, in mass, they were like, yeah, let's do it. We want, we want to go and do that. I'm like, okay, cool. But will your parents allow you to go and do that? Once again, surprised. Parents were like, yeah, we want to do this. I get on the phone with one parent, and she, she explains to me, she's like, yeah. She's like, actually, I'm really excited my daughter wants to do this. She's like, because my sister is a meth addict, and she lives on the streets there. I haven't seen her in years. Here's her name. Here's what she looks like. If you see her, please tell her that we love her. We go and we serve. Now, we're not dumb about this. We're doing it in smart ways. We're partnering with, you know, uh, with missions that are, are really clear and we can do it safely. But I, I had these two huge guys. They're both offensive linemen for Scapoos High School. And at the end of the night, uh, we'd, we'd been doing walkabouts. So we'd been walking around in an immediate area near the mission that we were at with, with, with bags of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at night. Big old thermoses of, of hot chocolate going by all the tents and all the houseless community. Hey, anybody want peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Hot chocolate, got it available. You know, knock, knock, knock on the tent, so to speak. And, and watching us, yeah, oh, you got, yeah, I'd love some. That'd be great. Hi, what's your name? Oh, my name's Gary. Hi, Gary, good to meet you. Would you, would you like some hot chocolate? I'd love some hot chocolate. That'd be great. Can you give me two? Oh, there's more than just Gary in the tent. Okay, great, no problem. You know, And I, and I, and I, I, these two big, huge football guys, and I'm, I'm like, hey, guys, in the night, what do you think? And they both literally went, oh, my goodness, Ryan, oh, that was so scary. And I'm like, scary? You're like twice the size of anybody out here. What are you scared of, you know? And they're like, no, man, we were so freaked out. We, we, we didn't know if we were going to survive. And I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Hey, would you do it again? Oh, I can't wait. When can we do this again? Can we do it tomorrow? Well, Let's do it next month, okay? <laughs> we'll get back. We'll do this again. And as these students gently serve, they begin to unpackage their faith. Like I said, some of them are Christians, some of them aren't. But they're all learning what it means to come and follow. Is that your invitation to, to your people? Are you, are you looking towards that? Are you willing to go even when the mission isn't clear? Can you step back from maybe what may be just the, 
the, your perceptions of what evangelism may look like, and instead just ask the Lord, what is it, what is it in my context, what is it supposed to look like? God, can I lead with my ears instead of my mouth? And when it's time, can I, can I speak as if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit that, in fact, I am filled with? That's my challenge to you. And it's a message I preach to myself every day. Thank you, church, for supporting us. Thank you for partnering with us. It means so much. And it, we, we don't take this lightly. Um, and we would, we would love in any context that you guys want to come out and pay us a visit, see what ministry looks like. There's a lot of different things. Joel and I were brainstorming even last night of just some, some great ways that if you wanted to come out to Portland and see what it's like and join with us in the mission of God, that we could, we could do that. We'd love to have you. Um, please pray for us. Uh, spring break for us is in a couple of weeks, and we're actually taking a group uh, along with our, our larger metro team of about 50 people down to El Salvador. We're going to be partnering with a local church down there, installing water filters and uh, praying and initiating gospel center conversations. Uh, we did this this past summer. We went to the Dominican Republic and got to do that. Um, Cruz kind of how-to is know, grow, and go. So in the vision statement of, of introducing people, we, we want to introduce them to people who will be multiplying disciples. Part of that is going. So we're excited to take some of the students that we've been partnering and working with to El Salvador to go, to take lessons back from that, to serve, and then return to our context again and see, see what the Lord has taught us, discover even more broader context what the mission of God looks like. We'd appreciate your immediate prayer for that. Pray for our family. Um, they're doing well. We've enjoyed living in Portland. But every time we come back here, uh, we do miss you guys. We miss your son, too. The son's really nice here. So we appreciate it. Thanks for letting me come and share. Let me pray this out, and then I'll let Joel come up and lead us into communion. Father, thank you uh, just for this message. Thank you that at somebody like Philip, we don't even know what he looks like, we just know that he was your disciple, was, was filled with your spirit. Thank you that he obeyed, that he went, even though the mission was unclear, and that when the mission was made clear, he ran towards it. But he ran with wisdom, with discernment. Lord, I pray that you would help us to go and do likewise. Lord, your gospel is amazing. Because your gospel isn't about what we have to do. It's what you've already done. Thank you that the cross is a real thing that took place. Thank you that you died on the cross, paying the sacrifice and, and taking our sins on there so that when we come and follow you, when we believe in you, we get the privilege of worshiping you by by living obediently to you. And Lord, even as, it, as I sit here today, I pray that no one will walk out of this room without knowing your gospel, without knowing that you love them enough to die for them, even though they may have lived a life that is not honoring to you on any kind of level, that you stand at the door of their heart and you're knocking right now. 
And Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here today who is in that place, they will respond to you and to your grace. And they, they will accept you into their lives. They will submit their lives to you and they will follow you. And I pray, Lord, that they would even have the boldness that if that's their prayer, if that's their heart, that's the position where they're at, that they're ready to become your child, Lord. I just pray in your name, Jesus, that they would have the boldness to tell someone here today before they leave, hey, I'm, I'm following Jesus now. So we might share in the joy. We might share in that confession with him. Lord, thank you. Thank you for bringing us here. In your name we pray. Amen.